0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post.
1: Hello, hey, Here's the Beck from The Washington Post. Hi, this is Beth
0: Reinhardt of The Washington Post. It's Lori Aritani over at The Post. I'm... This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, October 23rd. Today, what we know about turnout so far and how that's playing out in one Texas county, plus the latest on foreign election interference... As of today, more than 50 million people have already cast their ballots in the 2020 presidential election. That's more than the total early vote count in 2016.
1: Which is an incredible milestone to cross with more than a week left to go in early voting. That's
0: Amy Gardner, a national political reporter at The Post. We checked in with her this week to see what the numbers can tell us so far.
1: We don't know the party registration of voters in all states, but we know it in some states. And we don't know the ethnicity in all states, but we know it in some states. But some of the states where we do have that data are really interesting and they're really important battlegrounds. So, for instance, we know in Florida that there Democratic registered voters are overwhelmingly ahead in terms of who's voted by mail compared to Republicans. Mm. But we also know that it's much more even when you look at who's voted in person, which just started in Florida this week. So each day of early voting that happens in person in Florida is going to sort of narrow the advantage that Democrats have in the mail vote. So that's the kind of example that we have in Florida, of course, is an incredibly important state and battleground where the winner of that state is likely to be the next president, mm-hmm. not definitely, but likely. And so that's the kind of you know, data set that we're looking at to sort of get a sense of things. And, and what are you seeing in other states? The advantage among those who are voting by mail is democratic in every state where we have the data. And we have that data in something like 15 states. It's true in North Carolina. Uh, It's true in Georgia. It's an overwhelming advantage in Pennsylvania, for instance. It's like four out of every five voters by mail is democratic, roughly. And that's an incredible advantage for Democrats over Republicans.
0: So if we're seeing this political breakdown in terms of who is uh, submitting mail-in ballots and who isn't, and that the people who are submitting mail-in ballots tend to be more Democrats,
1: why is that? I think that one answer, if not the only answer, is that President Trump has discouraged mail balloting. He has been attacking mail balloting basically all year since the pandemic began, claiming without evidence that it will prompt widespread ballot fraud. And those attacks have had an impact on Republicans and whether they want to vote that way.
0: And what else are we seeing from the data in terms of the demographic breakdowns of who actually is voting right
1: now? So we know that in some states where we have the data, the share of the overall vote that is made up by Black voters is higher than it's been in recent past elections. Mm. We know this about Florida, we know this about Georgia, and we know this about North Carolina. Um, And those are really important states to measure Black turnout because they have large Black populations. Another interesting group to pay attention to across the country, but also in specific battlegrounds, is the Hispanic vote. And What we're seeing actually is that turnout among Hispanics is not as robust as Democrats would have liked it to be in places like Nevada and North Carolina and Georgia. And then what about age or, or whether people
0: who tend to have voted in the past or people who haven't? Because I think a lot of the conversation that we've been having, especially during the primaries and thinking about who the Democratic nominee would be, is this idea of who is a person that could activate people who don't tend to vote, who could activate young people. Have we seen any signs from the data so far on what the turnout
1: is from that perspective? What we know as an example is that Wisconsin, also a really important swing state, there are a lot of them, <laughs> uh, has the highest number or proportion of people who've already voted who did not vote in 2016. And that's really interesting because We like to look at first time voting or people who are coming back to voting after having taken a break as an indicator of overall voter enthusiasm. It doesn't tell us who they're voting for necessarily, because you could have people who sat out who came back out to vote for Trump or Mm -hmm. for Biden. We just don't know. But you can take a look at that data and and look at trends, especially if you look at those returning voters to see how old they are or other demographic indicators. And so what's really interesting in the case of Wisconsin is that of the voters who did not vote in 2016, who've already cast ballots this year, the largest share is occupied by people who are older, who are over 60. Really? And the share that's 18 to 29-year-olds is not the largest share. It's not young people who are accounting for this sort of first-time or returning voter trend. It's older people. Hmm.
0: So, so basically, like, older people who have been sitting it out for a while, but for some reason this year are like, oh, I really, I really want to make sure that I'm voting this year.
1: Yeah, and I want to be really careful that we don't know who it is. And one of the things that I don't know and don't have yet and hope to get is a breakdown by jurisdiction. So let's say that a huge amount of those people returning are from Milwaukee. Then we're going to know that it's going to be a very large Population of black voters because Milwaukee has is, is a very large black population and was thought to have contributed to Hillary Clinton's loss of Wisconsin in 2016 because there was a lack of enthusiasm for her among black men in particular in Milwaukee. So, if a lot of these returning uh, voters are from Milwaukee, then that's going to tell us that there's a good chance that these are voters for Biden. Similarly, We know that older Americans from polling data are turning away from Trump, at least to some degree, because of his handling of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. They're really mad that they don't get to see their grandchildren. They're really concerned about their own health, the health of their loved ones. And so the polling suggests that he's not winning the older vote nearly by the margins that he did in 2016 and may not be winning it at all. So that's another reason to wonder if these numbers out of Wisconsin reflect support for Joe Biden. But I, but I also wonder if
0: uh, these numbers that we're seeing, both in terms of the return so far of mail-in ballots and also the number of people who have been in line for early voting, if that kind of distorts the picture of what turnout might end up being overall just because it does seem like either because of enthusiasm for voting in this election and saying I'm going to be there on day one of early voting or because of concerns around coronavirus that people are just doing all of it early and that we're actually not going to see that many people coming out on November 3rd itself to vote.
1: It's it's the money question, really, in all of this. And it's also a question that involves algebra, I like to say, which scares the heck out of me. Because at some point, we have to figure out how many people have voted early and whether it's more than just what the Republicans like to call cannibalization of the Mm -hmm. election day vote. People choosing to vote early because of that enthusiasm that I described or because they wanted to vote by mail out of fear of coronavirus infection. And with all of this data showing that it's, mostly Democrats who are voting early, uh, we are hearing this defense from Republicans that, look, we're going to make it up on election day. We're not concerned. And that may be true, which is one reason why in all of our reporting, we're being very, very careful not to say this means Joe Biden's going to win because we don't know that. There could come a time when we cross a threshold where turnout is so high in a particular state and it's known that that Volume of voters is so favoring Joe Biden that it's not possible for Donald Trump to catch up on Election Day. Mm. Uh, Political strategists in North Carolina, for instance, told me that if they get to 80 percent of the total turnout of 2016 before Election Day, in North Carolina in the early and mail vote it's not possible for the president to catch up on election day in North Carolina he's not saying that we will get to 80% but that's his threshold he did the algebra
0: so the fact that we're seeing so much of this of this voting happen early does that make it more hopeful that we're going to have results early after election day either on election night or you know a day or two after that we're not going to be in this situation of counting ballots for weeks and weeks after the election
1: It depends upon the state. The volume of mail in states that are not accustomed to counting mailed ballots is going to take longer to count. That's especially true in places that don't allow local officials to start processing ballots until election day. And there are two states that are really important that don't allow that. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And you can look at Pennsylvania's primary in June, it took them two weeks to finish the count of the mail ballot. And they have done a lot of things to fix that and prove that. And they've bought like these machines that open envelopes and these high capacity scanners. But still, it's pretty much impossible for Pennsylvania to finish counting its ballots By election night. The other thing is that a lot of states allow ballots to come in for several days after the election day, as long as they're postmarked by election day. So obviously those ballots won't be counted. That matters only if the number of outstanding ballots is a difference-making number of ballots, right? So if we have a landslide on election night, it won't matter that Pennsylvania is not counted and it won't matter that there are still 50,000 ballots that are still out in Michigan or whatever. Um, if the result that is reported on election night is definitive and insurmountable, none of that will matter. But we <laughs> we can't guarantee that. I mean, we have close elections in this country and we have states that are the ones that are going to decide it this year that have closed elections year after year. And so the chance that a state is the deciding state and doesn't finish the count on election night is real.
0: I also wonder, what is this like for election officials who were already Scrambling to put in place new rules and procedures and check-in processes to to keep in mind the risks of the pandemic, but who are also now dealing with crowds of people or or uh, numbers of mail-in ballots that they have not experienced before or at least in recent years,
1: so my experience talking to election officials at the state and local level in, dozens of states over the last several months as they've prepared for this most unusual and actually unprecedented election is uniformly excitement about the prospect of making it work. And the turnout numbers so far are evidence that it's working in their view. And that doesn't mean that they are partisans who are glad that Democrats are currently in the advantage, you know, have the advantage. It means that their goal as, you know, administrators of the institution of voting and the institution of administering elections is that people can vote. People who are eligible can vote. That's their goal. And so uniformly election officials are excited about the turnout. I mean, I got this text from an election administrator in North Carolina when early voting started on Thursday of last week, a week ago, like literally giddy. He's like, oh, my God, we're going to have more than 300,000 people show up. It's so cool. Like, that's not partisan. That's just yay elections. And I'm hearing a lot of that. <laughs> yay democracy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Amy Gardner covers voting issues for The Post. The places where election officials are really excited is in Travis County, Texas, where there's been a significant increase in turnout so far.
2: And let me give you a rough idea of how many more people we're talking about. In the last presidential election, we had a grand total of 27,000 people who voted by mail. We already have almost 82,000 requests for ballot, and we're not finished yet. My name is Dana de and I'm the Travis County Clerk. That's in Austin, Texas. And Travis County has about 852,000 registered voters.
0: And how long have you been the county clerk? 34 years. Whoa, that is a <laughs> that's a long time.
2: That's a long time.
0: This year, 97 percent of eligible voters in Travis County were registered to vote. That is a new record. And Dana says that the county could also end up having a record number of vote-by-mail ballots and of people showing up early to vote in person.
2: If we're going to break our previous record, then we're looking at about a 77 percent turnout or better. Uh, if that happens, then the magic number that we're looking at is at least 650,000 voters will vote. Well, we're, it seems like we're headed straight for that because we've had, uh, for the last two or three days, more than 40,000 people show up to in-person vote. If those numbers hold true till the rest of the time, and I believe they might increase, we'll see 600,000 people already voted by the time early voting is over with. And then we'll expect more voters on Election Day. So we could very easily go past the 650,000 total voters that we're thinking.
0: Wow. And what is that? high turnout look like up close. I mean, are we, are you seeing lines or or crowds and, and even for the mail in ballots. I mean, are you guys kind of being inundated with these with these deliveries?
2: Yes, and uh, inundated is a good word. Tsunami is another good word because we're just overwhelmed, but we learned lessons with our last election in July. Um, that taught us, all right, We by mail voting is going to be really popular. It's also very tedious and slow and time-consuming to process uh, at back of house. So we knew we needed to build in more stations for people to work ballot by mail, not only sending them out, but getting them ready to count once they come back in. So all of that has taken a lot of extra effort and a lot of extra staff in person, what you'll see is um, lines for voting. They're not too terribly bad, although on the first day, we had a, a, a little bit of people going to polling places that were already crowded. And what we suggest to voters that they do is they check the wait times app on the county clerk's website mm. so that they can pick a location uh, of out of the 37 early voting locations, one that is not only convenient for them, but that carries a little green traffic eye icon Mm -hmm. next to the name of the polling place. That means there's little to no line at all, and we really encourage people to go there.
0: It's like going to the DMV and choosing (laughs) it based on the one with the, the lowest amount of weight.
2: Right, exactly. So the the other thing that voting looks like now is it looks like there are very long lines because we have markers on the pavement outside to spatially distance folks, socially distance folks every six feet or better. Well, that gets the line pretty strung out, but it moves so quickly that the person at the end of the line who was fearful that they might be stuck in something really long ends up finishing long before they think they do. So it's the it's how far the line stretches out that can sometimes get your attention. Never mind, it's all moving really fast.
0: And do you have a sense of like who you're seeing actually come out either when it comes to age or, or, or race or district or,
2: or even if they're first time voters or not? Right. I have some data and some anecdotal information. Uh, I know that in this hugely increased volume of by mail ballots, um, that 86 percent of our voters are local over 65. So if anybody's wor- worrying or wondering who is participating in the by mail program, it's your next door neighbor who's over 65 and who was always eligible all along uh, to vote a by mail ballot a lot of people who are voting by mail for the first time have always preferred to go in person. But because of COVID this time, they're gonna make use of by mail. Now, anecdotally, when you go to the polling places, it's very noticeable that we have a lot of young people voting. People in their twenties and thirties are everywhere. We're thrilled to see them. That particular category of voters did not have a particularly good, um, sh- you know, show up rate, uh, and now they do. So we're we're thrilled to have them.
0: Why do you think you're seeing such a big increase in in turnout this year?
2: Well, I think there's the political environment. um, And and as I said before, I think there's pent-up demand. I think there are, in any presidential election, there are always people who only vote once every four years. So some people have been waiting for this election for four years and are very eager uh, to make their choices known.
0: I also wonder if there is kind of like an interesting effect from all of the problems or the challenges around voting this year, because we've been talking so much about, you know, can people vote by mail? What's happening at the post office? Is it safe to vote in person? It feels like it's actually brought a lot of attention just to voting in general. And so that's more of a reason to be more attentive this year and like getting out early and being more conscientious about actually Mm -hmm. making sure that that casting our ballot does happen.
2: Yes, I think all that's true. I think you you've probably put your finger on the pulse. Um, There's a a snowballing effect that all of these stories have about the obstacles for voters. And this time, instead of voters shying away from the polls because they think there's going to be trouble, that's not the response we're seeing. What we're seeing is sort of an, oh, no, you don't. Um, This is my democracy and my vote, and I'm going to be there.
0: I also wanted to ask about some of the outside forces in this election. You know, we've seen litigation all over the country that has really, in some cases, created last-minute changes and how voting can happen, what the rules are, um, and that has happened in Texas. Can you talk a little about what are some of the ways in which those kinds of battles over the election rules have affected you?
2: Mm -hmm. Let me give you the the biggest and and most prominent problem that we had because of that. July 27th, Governor Abbott of Texas had handed out a COVID order that said we were going to allow hand delivery of by mail ballots at multiple locations uh, throughout the counties in the state. So, Harris County, Travis County, a couple of other counties, we planned to have in Travis County four drive-through locations to make hand delivery. On the first day, October 1st, of the first time we were going to use hand delivery, in the middle of the day, about 2 p.m., the governor abruptly canceled all the additional locations for hand delivery. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, clearly voter suppression. I don't think there's anybody who's fooled by, you know, calling it anything else. Uh, That created a great deal of confusion among voters because, of course, these places had been advertised ever since July 27th. So we had to suddenly regroup. We had planned for 11 drive-through lanes in our downtown area and then one lane at the county clerk's office. Well, So the governor's edict kicked me out of the drive throughs that were downtown. So all three of those were closed. And we turned the one lane that was up here at at our office into 16 bays uh, for voters to pull their car into. The time period to handle of your ballot per car is a procedure that takes two minutes. So we're seeing voters come in really fast uh, hand deliver their voted by mail ballot and go right on, and they know they're they're now feeling safe and comfortable because their ballot is in the ballot box. I've been sued three other times too, which have delayed the election in Travis County.
0: Wait, was this all during this election cycle?
2: This election cycle, this cycle, and then there was a question about okay, well, if you get sick with COVID, do you really have to have a doctor's notice in order to qualify for a hospital ballot? Mm-hmm. So that was litigated. Um, two of the three things, and then the 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 confusion with the hand delivery have run us behind schedule. This year, we barely made our 45-day deadline to get by mail ballots mailed out to military and overseas voters because of all the delays from the litigation. Hmm.
0: Wow. What are you thinking about the challenges of counting all those ballots? And do you foresee a world in which that is all done by the end of the night on November 3rd? Or are you preparing for a world where that looks a lot lengthier and more complicated?
2: We've made special arrangements so that if we end up with 100,000 by mail ballots in-house, say, first thing election morning, We will start tallying those ballots uh, at 7 a.m. on election morning as soon as the polls open. And we'll barely finish. Um, by the time I can first release results uh, right after 7 p.m. on election night. Hmm. If I can get all of that done, then what will remain is what we bring in election night. And that may certainly run us midnight or perhaps a little later in getting the regular polling places counted. But it puts us in a completely different position because it means that most of what we had in stock got counted on election night. And I think that's really important for people. So I, I, I know it sounds like it's a lot, but we're planning for it so that we can try our best to meet our goals.
0: Dana de Beauvoir is the county clerk in Travis County, Texas. Even after our interview, the legal battle over ballot submission in Texas has continued. On Thursday afternoon, the Texas Supreme Court rejected a request by Republicans to halt drive through voting in Harris County around Houston. After the court's decision, the county clerk there tweeted, Once again, the law is on our side. The court's decision to uphold the legality of drive through voting as a safe and convenient way to vote underscores that this November, democracy is on the ballot.
1: In-laws. Love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on Season 4 of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And now, one more thing.
3: Top intelligence officials confirmed again that both Russia and Iran are working to influence this election.
0: During Thursday's debate, President Trump and Vice President Biden were asked about foreign interference in the election.
3: And Iran sent intimidating messages to Florida voters. This question goes to you, Mr. Vice President. What would you do to put an end to this threat? You have two minutes uninterrupted. I made it clear that any country, no matter who it is, that interferes in American elections will pay a price.
4: It started on Tuesday.
0: Craig Timberg is a national technology reporter, and he was following the story when it all began.
4: Voters in Florida and some other swing states got these emails that said, we know who you are, we have your address and your phone number, and if you don't change your registration to Republican and vote for Donald Trump, we're going to come get you. And they were supposedly from this group called the Proud Boys that have a history of some violence. So it had a kind of surface plausibility about it.
0: But shortly after chasing the story, Craig found out that the emails actually weren't from the Proud Boys.
4: I mean, they're definitely not from the Proud Boys, and that was happily evident pretty quickly. You know, the Proud Boys had a server that was compromised, and so the real mystery was like, if the Proud Boys didn't do it, who did it? And the Proud Boys immediately denied it as well, but all of the technical evidence suggested it wasn't really them. And so he spent about 24 hours looking at emails, working with researchers trying to figure it out, and then... Wednesday night, the U.S. government announced that it was Iran that was behind this, this operation.
3: Good evening. The president has instructed the intelligence and law enforcement communities to ensure that the 2020 elections are the safest and most secure in our nation's history.
4: The director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, and the FBI director for Christopher Wray, they announced that both Russia and Iran had obtained some voter data.
3: Two foreign actors, Iran and Russia, have taken specific actions to influence public opinion relating to our elections.
4: And they also said that the emails that that we had thought at first were maybe from the Proud Boys were in fact faked and from the Iranians.
3: We have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump.
4: There's been some skepticism. That's pretty normal, given that the U.S. government doesn't tend to show us their evidence when they make these kinds of claims. The Iranians have said that this was a baseless accusation, that there was, they have no interest in interfering in the U.S. election, and they have no preference in the outcome. I will say that the independent researchers we were dealing with over the past couple of days, many of them had come to the conclusion that it likely was... A foreign nation involved and that they thought it was a nation that was maybe not quite as sophisticated as Russia. So the idea that it was Iran has in general gone over pretty well. It's certainly clear that the US government is reacting very aggressively to these kinds of threats and more aggressively than in 2016. I think the post and others reported that that the Obama administration was slow to rise when they started getting evidence that there was something going on with Russia. So we're seeing a much more aggressive kind of response. We're seeing much better coordination with the social media companies than we saw in 2016. It's also the case though that if you're worried about meddling in our election, the foreign actors probably aren't the big problem. The domestic ones are. I mean, the amount of you know these emails reached, you know, maybe a couple thousand people. The other campaigns we've seen in terms of disinformation have reached, you know, a relatively small numbers of voters. And yet every day we see, you know, untruths about mail-in voting, etc., that are being pushed by Americans and have vastly more reach and also almost certainly vastly more impact.
0: Craig Timberg is a national technology reporter for The Post. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our senior producer is Maggie Penman. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Muhammad, Jordan Marie Smith, Renny Swarnowski, and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. The Post Director of Audio is Jess Stoll. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post.